0: G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. So the last verse of James chapter 1 tells us, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That second part, the final part, the keep oneself unstained from the world, um, I reckon the stuff we've been looking at lately, we've been talking about it on Sundays, and our focus for the past week with our discipleship training week has been around the spiritual disciplines. um, And that is seeking to live a life that honors him first and foremost and to establish uh, routines and patterns in our life that actually help with that because uh, I think we've all experienced what it's like uh, with the status quo and just the default of what happens if we're not intentional with our life and it's that we tend to drift further away from God. We don't tend to drift towards him. We're told in Ephesians that the days are evil. We live in a world where the default will actually take us further away from him. So we are to keep ourselves unstained from the world. But also in there is this directive for us to look after orphans and widows in their distress. This is speaking about two particular groups of people who are super vulnerable. Today, there's a vulnerability for orphans. There's a vulnerability for widows. You go back into the time into which this was written and that increases I wouldn't necessarily say exponentially, but it increases a lot. There is an incredible vulnerability for orphans and for widows. And what we are told to do is to take care of those who will struggle to take care of themselves. Has anyone seen the movie Just Mercy? It came out a year or two ago and um, it was quite confronting because it's a, a movie that's set on death row. And so you have a lawyer that comes into this context of condemned men who are literally waiting to die. They know their fate, it has already been sealed, and they're waiting for the time when they will face the electric chair. And you find out pretty early on uh, that some of these men are actually innocent. Not just people who would say they were innocent, but people who have been convicted of a crime that they did not commit. The central character is someone who we find out is not completely innocent in the fact that he's done some things that are are bad, but definitely nothing that deserved death according to uh, the law that he sat under. There was something that he was accused of, convicted of, that he didn't do. But a lawyer comes in and does something for him that he was unable to do for himself. He was not able to defend himself in a court of law, but someone else came in and did that for him. There is something that is uh, put upon us where we are called to use the power that we have been given. And every single one of us has power. Every single one of us has influence. And if we were to have some kind of pie chart that would demonstrate um, the whole world, and looking at the most influential people, it wouldn't have to be a pie chart, some kind of visual representation to show us where we sit in the world, we would be in the top few percent in terms of our influence, in terms of our resources. We are incredibly influential, incredibly resourceful, and it is our great opportunity slash command that we are to use that for the good of others. We're about to dive into a very short book in the Bible, and we're going to read through the entire book today. We're also going to talk through some of its implications, and for those who was at either or both of Chad Chad's sessions on Wednesday and Thursday this week for the discipleship training week, and we were looking at... Three questions that we are to ask when it comes to reading the Bible. For the benefit of those who are not here, who can tell me the first, most basic question that we should ask when it comes to looking at a passage of Scripture? What does it say? We have the incredible benefit of translators who help us to understand what was written in the Greek and the Hebrew, and it's translated into our language And not just one translation that was done hundreds of years ago that's hard for us to understand now, but we have dozens and dozens and dozens of reliable translations in the English, and we are very blessed for that. So that helps a lot in working out what does it say. Second question is... Love the intonation. What does it mean? And for those that were here... This might help you even more what does it say (laughs) what does it mean Chad was very diligent in hitting up those different angles for each of those questions so the what does it mean is where we spend a fair bit of time and it's not what does it mean to you it's what's the author's intended meaning so it's not just going all right what does this mean to me today it's what is the author's intended meaning But where it becomes very personal is when you get to the third question, which is, what does it matter? So that's where it becomes relevant, applicable to your particular context. But it's helpful to understand what it actually means before you start applying it to your context. It's a much safer way to go, a much better way to go, rather than making up meaning. And the last thing I want to do is to put more obstacles in the way of you just picking up the Bible and reading it for yourself. But I actually want all of us to be more excited to pick it up and to read it. There are a few things that can help us to do that well, but we don't need to know everything before we start expecting God to speak to us through the Scriptures. What are Again, for those that were here this past week, what are the three S's? that Chad was talking about when it comes to what will help us to interpret and understand Scripture. The Spirit, so the Holy Spirit. Another phrase, I hadn't actually heard this one before, I love it. The Bible is the only book in the world where the author is always with you as you read it. That's an amazing reality, isn't it? He's always with us. As we read it, the same Holy Spirit who wrote this indwells us so that we will understand it and apply it. That's one of the three things. And I think it's easy for us to think it's just about us sitting with the scriptures and understanding on our own. It's important, but it's not the whole story. So the Spirit helps us. What else helps us? The saints. And so that can be in this context, sitting next to somebody else and discussing together. It can be listening to someone preach on it. It can be reading a Bible commentary. It can be watching a Bible project video. Those things are really helpful just to get some basic understanding about the context of the scriptures that we're reading. And what's the third one? Third S? The science of hermeneutics. So hermeneutics are nice... Big, scary word, which simply means Bible interpretation. So it is a science because it is something that can be applied in a scientific fashion. So hermeneutics is us trying to understand the author's intended meaning. It's not about us trying to figure out what it means to me in this moment, but hermeneutics will help us to figure out what the author's intended meaning is. So, can anybody quote to me any verse from Philemon? I'm there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Last. So, we've got one. Anyone else? Quote a verse from Philemon. Do not feel bad in the slightest if you cannot yet quote. So Philemon's one that he's writing to and he's encouraging Philemon um, and he's commending Onesimus to him. But yep, on on the right track. My point um, was not to call you out on your lack of Bible knowledge, but my point is just to say it's not an often quoted book. There's a story in there that's Relatively well known, uh, but in terms of the verses there to really grab a hold of and commit to memory, um, generally speaking, not a lot of people have memory verses from this book. Not to say that we shouldn't, but it's just the way that it tends to be. So if you can open up uh, to Philemon, I'm just going to mess with you and occasionally pronounce it one way, (laughs) and then I'll pronounce it another way a different time. Um, But Philemon is right before Hebrews. So, if you get to like Thessalonians and Timothy just after that, be very careful because you can easily miss it. It is usually only one page. Um, sometimes it is two, but typically only one page. Uh, there it is in mine. One page. Philemon. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read from Philemon and then we're going to have a, a chat about it. I will encourage um, anyone that's sitting a bit further back, why don't you come in and join us. There's a few empty rows, a few empty seats around. Just, yeah, encourage you guys to come in. If you can sit in this chapel area, I encourage you to do so. Um, all right, here we go. Does anyone need more time to find it? We do have a couple more Bibles that are here in the, in the aisle. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul as an elderly man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus appeal to you for my son Onesimus I became his father while I was in chains once he was useless to you but now he is youth- useful both to you and to me I am sending him back to you I am sending my very own heart I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel he might serve me in your place But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So... If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. Since I'm confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. An entire book of the Bible in one sitting. Philemon, as I said, the shortest letter and in fact the shortest book that we have in the New Testament. So a little bit of background. So this is written, many think, at the same time as the letter to the Colossians. So there's a few clues in there that line up to make us think that it would have worked for Paul in his imprisonment, whether that was in Ephesus or Caesarea or Rome. Most people think it was Rome Second most popular is Ephesus. It doesn't really matter to us where he wrote it, but most likely he penned both of these letters at the same time and sent them with the same messenger. One as a specific letter sent to this man Philemon and the other one sent to the church at Colossae. So we are confident that Philemon was at Colossae. We learn from that opening that he had a church that was meeting in his house. So he was a man of considerable means, and as was so common in that time, he had slaves, quite likely a number of slaves. And I would just address this quickly at the outset. So slavery in this time was not a good thing. However, slavery in this time was not as bad as slavery in other times of human history. Slavery would often be a better option for people. um, And for people who had um, lost everything, they would sell themselves into slavery. Slavery was not based on ethnicity, as it so often has been throughout history. You could have someone who was literally, um, that you'd grown up with, who was the same ethnicity as you, who just through circumstances ended up selling themselves into slavery. Um, slavery is something that's often, um, people question, why is slavery not outlawed by Paul or by Jesus? Why don't they address this? And this letter doesn't help us. But one thing it does do is it takes the humongous things that we talk about in the gospel and it applies them to a very personal situation. As one commentator has said, this particular letter, it's personal, but it's not private. What's assumed to have happened is that you've got Philemon, who is the wealthy man the church meets in his home, and you've got Onesimus, his slave. We don't know for sure if he stole anything, but we do know that he did a runner. So he has run away from his slave master's house and quite possibly taken some stuff that he shouldn't have in the process. He has found Paul when Paul was in prison. It's possible that he wound up in prison himself and then happened to meet Paul in there, or maybe he came across Paul when Paul was in prison and he wasn't actually a prisoner himself. But either way, it was through Paul that Onesimus came to faith in Jesus, which, interestingly enough, is how Philemon came to faith, was directly through Paul. Paul describes himself um, as being a father to both of these men. My son, Onesimus. It's a really interesting thing to think of as a parent, your two kids who come into very different situations, but you have this desire to see them reconcile. So Paul's writing this letter and it's asking a lot. So like I said, it's personal but it's not private. What Paul is asking him to do is to actually receive Onesimus back but no longer as a slave. And this is not just any slave, this is a slave that's done a runner on him and most likely stole some stuff in the process. And so he should be killed. In fact, if Paul's been harboring a runaway slave, then he should be killed as well. So Paul's in quite a vulnerable position in this whole situation. Onesimus becomes quite useful for Paul. So Onesimus is there, he's serving Paul and helping him. And as you may have picked up from the letter, there is this desire that Paul has to have him around. He's like, he's actually very useful for me. The word useful is quite interesting here because that's what Onesimus means his name literally means useful and so Paul has a little play on words saying once he was useless to you and it's possible it's referring to when he was a slave for him but more likely the fact that he deserted him and wasn't there at all he was literally useless Uh, but now he's useful to me Paul says and also to you so this useful man is serving Paul and Paul does the right thing a pretty bold thing and he sends Onesimus back but if he just sends Onesimus back without any accompanying letter Philemon has every right to have this man killed or at least beaten badly going back to being a slave but probably given the lowest duties But Paul is asking something huge. It's personal. It's not private because he's got a church that meets in his home. Most likely, all of them would have known Onesimus. And you've got Onesimus coming back in. There's also the implications socially. What about other slave owners? What about other slaves? If you've got this guy who's done the wrong thing and then comes back in, there's no consequences Is there just going to be chaos, an uprising of these slaves? Like what's going to happen? It's an interesting social situation, but Paul speaks into it and he calls Philemon to something very challenging, to actually receive him back no longer as a slave, but now as a brother. I mentioned before about that movie Just Mercy and the lawyer that stands in the gap and actually does something that was not possible for um, the guy on, on death row to do on his own. Paul is standing in the gap and he's calling for something that Onesimus couldn't call for himself. He's actually taking on the role of Jesus. He's actually coming between these two men and he is calling for reconciliation in one of the most unlikely of settings. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Does anyone know what they'll be called? Yeah. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. It doesn't say you'll be sons of God, it says you'll be called sons of God because you'll be recognized for who you are. We are recognized as sons and daughters of our Father as we do what he does, which is the work of reconciliation. This particular letter doesn't have any obvious references to the work of Jesus on the cross. Every other letter Paul wrote does, all the letters that we have. They do, but this one doesn't. But we see something of that as Paul takes on that role of reconciliation actually at personal expense. So what does he say to Philemon about anything that Onesimus owes him? I'll pay it. He doesn't want anything to stand in the way of the reconciliation of these two men. And he says, treat him as you would me, as though I'm coming to you. Not as you would a returning slave who stole stuff from you. Does that sound like anything else? Where we get to be with God as though we were Christ. Like we are given that identity. We're given that position before the Father as a gift. And so Paul, in a similar way, does that with Onesimus. I want us just to to take a look at a couple of things in here. Um, I love, at the start of this letter, it mentions a few different people. So it's to Philemon, um, and then it mentions a couple of others. To Aphia, generally regarded as probably his wife, uh, Philemon's wife. And to Archippus, uh, probably his son. And Who's really quick on their um, Bible flipping? If you want to have a look at uh, Colossians chapter 1. Sorry, Colossians chapter 4 verse 17. Can anyone tell me what Colossians chapter 4 verse 17 tells us? To the ministry, more, what so another reason we think that these two letters are strongly connected and quite possibly delivered at the same time. Um, so Archippus, the son, is mentioned here. And I just find it interesting that you have different times uh, where different members are called out. It's not always Philemon that gets to be called out in a letter. Um, he's got a letter written to him, um, but then it's Archippus that gets called out in Colossians. Um, and then Onesimus gets called out as well. Maybe i as well go there now. Um, so earlier in Colossians chapter 4, um, there is a reference to um, to Onesimus as well. So that's Colossians 4 verse 9, I reckon it is. Can someone read that one out for us? He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Nice one. Um, yeah, so just a beautiful thing of um, seeing the... I guess it's the the trust that Paul has in him. Um, And as I said before, it is likely these two letters written at the same time, sent at the same time, both of them involve Onesimus returning. Uh, We're going to take a couple of minutes. Um, It'll be three minutes where I want you to have a look from verse 4 to verse 7 and to have a look with somebody else and simply to answer two questions. So one is... Who is someone that you can thank God for who has exhibited at least one of these qualities that you see between verse 4 and verse 7? Who is someone that you can thank God for that has exhibited at least one of these qualities? And what of these qualities is God highlighting to you for you to see more of in your own life? So we're celebrating and thanking God for this In someone else's life one of these things in particular and we're also asking god that one of these things in particular that we would just see it more in our own life three minutes let's chat and pray for one another Feel free to continue those conversations and those prayers uh, in a little while. I do want to draw your attention. Beth actually just pointed out before, verse 6. So Philemon, verse 6. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. I mentioned before how we don't have everything (laughs) ourselves. We have everything Together Um, and we are dependent upon one another, so we are dependent first and foremost upon Him. But He chooses in His grace and in His goodness to make us independent sorry, interdependent upon one another. Two very different things, (laughs) kind of similar words. Um, We need each other, and we need to know that we need each other. And in this the, the faith comes up quite a bit in the scriptures, not every time, but often when faith is talked about, it's the faith, because it's not some vague concept. It's not faith in whatever you want to have faith in. It's the faith in Jesus Christ, him as Lord, us as his body, us together as his bride, us, we're dependent upon him. That's all part of the faith. Jesus who died for us, died in our place. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective. So our participation in the faith becomes effective as we come to know every good thing that is in us. And it's only in us because he's put it in us. So as we become more aware of those things that he has given to us, we are better able to do the things he's calling us to do. It's pretty logical. It's pretty straightforward. And I think that's a significant verse when looking at the rest of what Paul was asking Philemon to do. We don't get the narrative that surrounds this particular story. So we don't have narrative that backs up that Philemon actually took Onesimus back. However, the fact that it's in our Bible, when this Bible was put together, when the New Testament was being formed, um, a couple hundred years after this was written, gives me great confidence that it's in there because... It was actually the advice that was heeded and put into, into place. And you see this incredible reconciliation. What I want to leave you with um, is from verse 17. Um, so, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. It is so common in families, in churches, in workplaces, in friendships for someone to get offended and for the relationship to change. Has anybody ever experienced a relationship changing through someone being offended or being hurt? I see those hands. It is so common, and I wish we were better at dealing with those things in the church than what we are. Lord, may we be better than ever before at dealing with hurt, with offence, I pray right now that each one of us would be able to forgive. I pray that you would highlight things that we need to forgive. I pray that you would highlight people that we need to make an effort to reconcile with. I ask that you would have your way in this and bring deep reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen. Has anyone ever had a slave who stole money from them? And ran away. Yeah, that one time. Yeah. <laughs> so, what <laughs> you can just change a couple of details. Uh, it is pretty major. And a beautiful thing about the scriptures is that we do have so many of these kind of moments. We do have where the rubber hits the road, not just theory of what we should be working towards, but actual stories and testimonies of how the life in Christ changes everything. And if these two could be reconciled, there has to be hope for whatever situations are on our minds. And on our hearts, there has to be hope. If he did it here, he has done it many times since and he'll do it many times again. We just want to be the willing vessels that allow him to do what he wants to do in us and through us. And it's an interesting one, looking at the Philemon and Onesimus sort of roles in this. And I think a lot of the time, I mean, we can look at this story, go, all right, so... Onesimus, he was the one who wronged Philemon. And so now Philemon is being asked to forgive Onesimus. I reckon it's really common for us to put ourselves in Philemon's shoes. But chances are there's times when we would say we were in Philemon's shoes and the person that we think was in Onesimus's shoes actually think, that they were in Philemon's shoes, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. So often we feel like we're the ones who have been wronged and we're actually fractured in our relationship from someone else who also feels like they have been wronged. And chances are we're both right to some degree, but we're waiting for the other person to take initiative. We're waiting for the other person to be the one that builds the bridge that helps to bring reconciliation. Saying, I know that if they do this, then, then they're ready. But what have we actually done to cross that bridge or to build that bridge? Being a peacemaker will reveal your identity as a son or daughter of God. It's not being a peacekeeper. We are called to do whatever we can as far as it depends upon us to live at peace with everyone. You have been given everything you need for life and godliness. You have been given everything you need to bring reconciliation. Certainly in this story you've got the person who has the cultural power who's been called to lay that down for the sake of the person who doesn't have cultural power. And I would encourage us to consider that first, not exclusively, but that first, where Do you have that influence? Where do you have some cultural power where you can lay that down? And where can you play the part of Paul? As I just read, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. There are times here where you could read that, different parts of this letter, and go, "Mm, is that emotional manipulation? Is he being passive-aggressive? in the things that he's saying. He's doing that to bring reconciliation between two other people. He is pushing in and doing some things that could be seen as annoying, but it's for a bigger goal than his own needs. He's actually stepping in and trying to bring reconciliation where reconciliation is hard. So let's be people... Who are reconcilers where there is hurt between us and someone else, but also where it is possible. Sometimes we're best just to keep our nose right out of things and simply pray. Definitely wisdom's involved in that. But there are times where we can actually help. So discernment is very much uh, is very important in that. But let's be people who try and bring others together as well as actually come together with those where there's been that hurt i'm gonna so with having discretion